0: she walked up to that Middle Eastern well on a hot day. There was a man there who she immediately recognized as one who was not of her race. He was a Jew. And so she knew the drill. She kept her her head down. She didn't speak and she didn't meet his gaze. As a Samaritan woman, she was despised by this man and his people. She and her family and her her tribe, her village, were considered half-breeds. Subhuman, she quietly and quickly went about her business, drawing water, when suddenly he spoke to her. But not the quick command or or gruff order like you would speak to a dog. No, no, it was a soft and kind voice that asked her a question. In fact, he asked her for some water. She was shocked. This, This request was against everything that she had been raised in. She dared not look up, knowing that that Jews and Samaritans did not associate, but she did reply. She said, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Maybe he had missed that she was a Samaritan. You see, didn't he know that a drink given by someone of, of her race would be considered offensive, unclean to him? Surely it was a mistake. But he began to speak to her not just about water, but about deeper things, spiritual, divine things. And as he spoke and as she began to answer, her heart began to warm as she learned of eternal truth and the Messiah. She was shocked at his insight, his tenderness. She was most amazed at his understanding of her. Like He knew her story. He knew her heart. He saw her. He should be berating her. He should be shouting at her. At best, he would just indifferently ignore her. She was trying to understand the amazing truths he was speaking about. And so finally she said, Sir, when the Messiah comes, he will teach us the meaning of all these things. And for the first time, she looked up into his Jewish eyes. And he replied, The Messiah? I am he. This man, Jesus, showed the Samaritan woman a divine love that she didn't know existed. One that transcended race, transcended culture. About this time, his disciples returned, and she could tell by their glares that things were returning back to normal. They were as shocked as she was that he was discussing with her. She ran to her village, and her village, they couldn't believe it either. A Jewish prophet here speaking with with us? The village came out to see Jesus, and, and he didn't rebuke them. In fact, he began to speak to them, and they were, they were amazed at his insight and his love and his message. So much so, they asked him to, to stay with them, stay with, our, with us in our village, a Samaritan village. And the wildest twist ever, this Jewish rabbi spent two days there preaching a revolutionary gospel that they had never heard before. Many Samaritans believed in Jesus. A revival broke out there in that community, and then Jesus and his disciples moved on to the next village. You see, racism isn't new. In fact, in Jesus's time, it was accepted. It was celebrated. It was endorsed. Racism can be distilled to pride in us over them. Pride in me over you. Pride based on the amount of of melanin in someone's skin based on language, culture, food or tradition or something as subtle as which side of a line on a map you were born on. Here's another truth about racism I want us to know. Did you know that Jesus has an opinion on racism? And if Jesus has an opinion on racism, then shouldn't his church, who he's the head of, have that same opinion? Well, this is what I want to talk about today. We are studying the book of Ephesians, this, this ancient letter that was penned from a jail cell by Paul, a follower of Jesus. And today we're going to look about what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, the second half there. We're going to t- take a look at two men, Paul and Peter, two titans of the New Testament. And so Peter, Peter is one of Jesus's first and most fiercely loyal disciples. He had a fiery personality. It was, he was passionate, he was mentored by Jesus. Peter goes on to, to be a leader in the Jesus movement in powerful ways and, and actually a huge influence in the formation of the church. And then there's Paul. Paul is just as passionate, just as fiery, but Paul had a completely different path to Jesus than Peter. You see, like Peter, he was raised in a Jewish culture, but Paul was already on his way to being a Pharisee, a, a, a super religious scholar. And one day, Paul had an encounter with Jesus. See, before that, he looked down on anyone who had different blood, different lineage, different culture. But then he had an encounter with Jesus. We're going to look at these two different people. Peter, Paul, two very different paths to Jesus. Both came from a similar culture that was steeped and rooted in in bias and racism. And both of these Jesus followers had to come face to face with their own prejudice about other people. In the time of Jesus, the time of Peter and Paul, the Jewish culture and religion had divided life into two categories clean and unclean, Jewish and non Jew, also called Gentile. The Jewish followers elevated and dedicated themselves to the things that were clean, they avoided, they condemned all the unclean. And these two categories were all kinds of places and foods and items that were strictly avoided and and condemned. Part of the belief also was that that racial outsiders were unclean. Non-Jews were unclean. In fact, if you went into a non-Jewish house, if you ate non-Jewish food, if you touched a non-Jewish person, or if you even touched something touched by them, well, then you would become unclean as well. So people were categorized as clean or unclean based on race, origin, and religion. Before Jesus, these these two groups were at odds and completely kept separate. I mean, you think things are bad now, but back then, Gentile lives didn't matter to the Jews and, and, and vice versa. But listen to what Paul writes here in Ephesians 2 that we're studying. Paul is writing to those who, who had no protests, had no civil rights movements. But Paul, guided by God's spirit as he wrote this, he's writing a new and groundbreaking things about spiritual rights movements that transcends what we know. Things that have their origin in heaven. He says this, Don't forget, Gentiles, that, that you used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of the religious affiliation even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, Gentiles, you were living apart from Jesus. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you didn't know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away, but God has brought you near through the blood of Jesus. This is the same words used here as as in the story of the prodigal son when he was far away and God brought him near, ran to him, Same, same words. That's how God is painting those people, the outsiders, the heathens, that though they were far away, God has brought them near. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He's united Jews and Gentiles into one people that would have been a jaw-dropping, breathtaking line. These two groups that were historically and culturally had wanted nothing to do with each other, that, that Jesus had made them into one people. When in, when in his own body on the cross, he broke the wall of hostility that separated He did this by ending the system of law and its commandments and regulations. He made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two people groups. So together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by the means of his death on the cross. And our hostility against each other was also put to death. God brought this good news of peace to the Gentiles who were far away and to the Jews who were nearer. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, Gentiles, you're no longer strangers or foreigners. You are citizens. Along with all of God's holy people, you are members of God's family. So we see that Jesus is not only breaking down old ways of living, he's calling people, all people, to a new way of living. What used to be us and them, Jesus makes clear, "Uh, there's only us now. The wall has been been broken. Now, while Paul is writing this, Paul and Peter's journey to racial reformation was a long one. He's writing this here in Ephesians, but, but there's obviously a journey behind it to reach this place. I mean, you don't throw off a lifetime of prejudice because the Bible has one verse about it. Oftentimes, you must have Jesus encounters, and you must intentionally choose love. So back to Ephesians. I mean, in the first part of Ephesians 2, we learned all the amazing benefits of being in Jesus, of following Jesus. We come to salvation. We go from death to life, from freedom. We go from sin to freedom. The effects of salvation are life transforming and changing. It changes the very core of who we are. But as we'll see in the life of Peter, salvation doesn't solve all of our sin issues. It solves our big sin issue that, that keeps us from God's holy heaven, that keeps us from God's love. But we still struggle. We know this. There are places in our hearts and minds That after salvation, God then calls us to grow beyond, to set aside, to mature past. Salvation through Jesus forgives your sins and separates you from the eternal consequences. But as you intimately know, it doesn't remove your battle with sin. There are places in each of us, in each of our hearts, that God is calling us to step out of our sinful behavior, out of the dark, into the light favoritism, racism, prejudice. These are some of these issues. Racism doesn't end with salvation. Like most things, growth and intentional pursuit of Jesus are necessary to mature past prejudice. And how do we know? You're saying, well, how do we know that? How do we know that, that salvation doesn't just cure racism? Well, we, have, we look no further than, than Peter himself. Peter, Jesus found Peter in a fishing boat, and Peter followed Jesus after a miraculous catch of fish. And from there, he went on to follow Jesus for three years, being mentored by him. He saw Jesus change change clear water into red wine. He he held a basket of fish that fed 5,000 people. He saw blind people see again. He was there when Lazarus, who was dead, wrapped in burial cloth, walked out of a tomb Peter personally walked on water. Peter cut someone's ear off and then saw Jesus heal it. Peter watched Jesus die. And then Peter spent time and talked with the resurrected Jesus. Peter followed Jesus' footsteps in becoming a traveling minister. Peter preached to thousands of people. Tens of Peter preached, and thousands of people would come to salvation. Peter himself, with the power of the Holy Spirit, healed the sick, healed the lame, and set people free. Listen, Peter experienced Jesus and the Holy Spirit in a way that was personal, that was intense, and a way that was undeniable. Yet experiencing and witnessing witnessing all that Jesus did, Peter still struggled with prejudice and racism. You see, Peter was raised in a culture that took great pride in being better than those surrounding it. He was born into it. He was conditioned into it. Peter in Acts 10, let's turn there, Acts 10. You can turn or scroll with me. Peter's praying in Acts 10 when suddenly he's caught up into this vision. God grants him a vision and he sees all of these unclean Animals come down, animals that he would never eat. And God tells Peter to rise and eat. Peter replies in this vision, Surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure, anything unclean. Which means he's never been to a non-Jewish meal. But then God declares, Peter, do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. Now you might be wondering, like, what's what's the issue with food here? What what is it about animals? But but it's not about animals. God is making using he's using this vision to reveal to Peter that that the division of clean and unclean that that it's gone. Because as soon as the vision passes, the word says that it says Peter was wondering at the meaning of this vision when there's a knock at the door. He goes down and there are Gentiles, unclean, and they show up. And and Peter, struck by the the vision of what is unclean is now being okay, when invited to go to to, to a man named Cornelius' house, a Gentile, when invited, Peter does something he wouldn't have done an hour previous. He goes with them. And then Peter sets foot for the first time in a non-Jewish household. I mean, this must have been a wild moment for Peter as he stepped across the entryway into the unclean. Never before has he done this. Peter in verse 28, he remarks, he he says to him, you are well aware it's against our law for a Jew to associate or even visit with a Gentile. Talk about us and them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. He continues in verse 34. Truly, I understand now that God shows no partiality. This is a truth Peter just learned that day. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable. That sentence right there, it just strikes down centuries of racism in one verse. And then he goes on to preach and his first message to people of a different race, and God's spirit moves in power, so much that the Jewish people who are with Peter, like he has, he has a posse with him, they're amazed that God's spirit would dare and dwell those people. The usses, were shocked that God's spirit was now living in the thems. You see, God is making a new way forward. It was against their law to associate with the Gentile, but God revealed to Peter that that way was gone and there was a new way ahead. And so Peter now begins to to take this message and he's preaching to anyone, he's preaching to anyone and God's moving in power. He's not just preaching to his, his people, his team, his race, his group. He's taking God's message out. Peter is learning that the us and them that he grew up with, the us and them that he lived by, we're not categories in God's heart. And I would love to tell you that, that Peter went on from this and did it perfectly, but he didn't. He's like us. You know, we make bold decisions and they can, they can lose their traction in our hearts over time, right? I mean, have you ever done this? In, in, in an emotional moment, you make a vow, a vow that I will, I will never do that again. And maybe for a few days, you stand on that vow fiercely. And you think, hey, this, this, is gonna la- this one's going to last. You know, but give it a month. Give it, give it a week. Give it a day. And oftentimes, we're right back where we were. This is how we learn that rooting out cultural racism and prejudice isn't just a one-time decision. To truly get the prejudice of us and them out of our hearts, it, it takes intentionality. It takes vigilance. Maybe need to be purposeful about it. Let's turn to Galatians 2. Galatians 2 was, was written years after Acts 10. So Acts 10 is where Peter had his vision, and he first went into that, that Gentile, them, that house. And in, in Galatians 2, it's years later, Paul's writing to another church, and he speaks about Peter and a confrontation he has with him. Listen to this. Galatians 2, Peter is the head of the church and has vast influence... And Paul is renowned as well. He's a traveling evangelist, and both of them are making huge waves in the culture and the world. And, and they're, shaping, they're shaping the world as many come to Jesus. But in Galatians 2, the heads of the church have this big meeting. Listen to the words of Paul as he gathers with Peter. Galatians 2, verses 11. Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face to face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. Like like no segregation at all. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, Peter cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between him and his non-Jewish friends. I mean, we find Peter falling back into his old pattern of us- and them, not associating with certain people, not, not eating with non-Jewish Jesus followers. He's heading, he, or he, he's back in his old ways of religion and off the new path of Jesus following. Paul in verse 14 says this, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I confronted people, I confronted Peter in front of them all. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I confronted Peter in front of them all. Did you catch that? This is heavy. What Paul doesn't say is, hey, hey, Peter, um, I'm a little concerned about you. You need to check your heart. Peter, hey, what you're doing isn't really good for attendance or offerings. Or, Or Peter, I would encourage you to rethink your view of the Gentiles. What Paul says here is that Peter is behaving in a way that wasn't in line with the truth of the gospel. That's Jesus' message. Paul says it. they were out of line with Jesus' message. This is a huge statement. Not acting in line with the truth of God's revelation from the Bible. When we treat others as anything less, it's not in line with the truth of God's word or God's heart. When we act with prejudice or bias or racism, we are not in line with God's love or Jesus' salvation. I want to let that sink in. We are out of line with Jesus' teaching when we live from prejudice, bias, or racism. God's heart is clear. And as his followers, we're without excuse if we continue to operate in those ways. Peter was called out called out by Paul in front of them all, which means that even though Peter had learned and experienced that in Acts 10, he had fallen back into some old patterns and cultural behaviors because of who he was around. He needed further correction. And what we see here is that that prejudice and racism, or even looking down on, on, on them, it's not a one and done issue. That's what we see. It's something that must be worked on. It's something we must intentionally look at and hold up the mirror to our behaviors and our beliefs. Now, now, is Peter a bad guy? Absolutely not. Peter is a disciple who who, who loved God and, and, like us, often sinned. And you know what about Peter? He often repented. Peter fearlessly would repent. We see this throughout his life. When he was confronted with truth, he would apologize and he would adjust. This isn't about Peter's salvation. This is about the subtle sinful behaviors that can slide back into our lives if we're not careful and like anything contrary to god's message when we become aware of those places where we're off from jesus's message we ask forgiveness and he forgives us and then we change and move forward in love now i i know i I know because i i'm with you in this so often there's many, many hearing me today, and you're thinking, this is all great, but, but I'm not a racist. And I, I want to offer something. I, I believe in, in God's kingdom. I, I don't think it's enough to not be racist. I don't think that's enough. In God's kingdom, as God's people, I think we must be against racism. I think we should be anti-racism. And let me illustrate with this, this, this illustration. Uh, child sex trafficking is horrendous. And it's against the heart of God. It's not enough for us to say, well, at least I'm no child trafficker. I would guess that we are anti-child sex trafficking. We're anti. We're absolutely positioned against it. And if we ever saw it happening, we wouldn't walk past it and whisper to our friend, well, at least I'm not like one of those traffickers. In the same way, if we see racism, I don't want us to just walk past it and say, well, at least I'm not a racist. In the same way we are against other things that are contrary to God's heart, we must see that racism belongs in that category. The same way we were against uh, child trafficking, we must apply that to racism. Because fundamentally, both of those ugly practices violate God's command to love others as ourselves. They both violate Jesus' message. And so we work. We work to not neutrally be not a racist but instead to stand with God's heart and position ourselves in opposition against racism the same way we would child trafficking, both contrary to God's message and God's heart. We must fearlessly fearlessly look at ourselves and and find those places where, where we have an us and them, and instead move toward love in those situations. Martin Luther King, King, Jr. said this, whatever affects one directly affects us all indirectly. In other words, just like Ephesians 2, there is no them. There's no them. There's only us. And once we realize there's no them, then there's no one to look down on. As soon as we realize there's no them, there's no one to marginalize. Because when we awaken to the truth that there's only us, we stop competing and condemning, and we begin to communicate and collaborate to form a better future. A future that sees beyond melanin. A future that sees beyond origin. As God declared in 1 Samuel 6-7, God says this, Do not consider appearance. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at at the outside but God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 6, 7, Orchard, we are called to follow Jesus into God's heart and see people the way he sees people, or will never love people the way that he loves people. Instead of keeping certain people at arm's length, we need to extend our hand. Instead of the general comment, but I love everyone. We need to go out and befriend someone who doesn't look like us at all. Andy Stanley had some insight into this that I want to echo. He said, as Jesus followers, we are accountable to the law of Christ, not the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? In fact, did you know you can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly to the letter of the law, and you can still be a racist? Our example is Paul, the very person who wrote Ephesians. You see, before he met Jesus, he was a Pharisee who kept the law while despising non Jews. He looked down on any who weren't in his us category. But then he met Jesus. And after a lifetime of following Jesus and, and fearlessly seeing these places inside of themselves, he was changed in these areas. And Paul went from a violent lawkeeper Pharisee to someone who said, We should do everything out of love. Paul went from a a religious racist condemning those who were not born like him or behaving like him to the apostle who was actually credited with spreading God's message to more uh, uh, nations and races than anybody else. Listen to this. Jesus, on his last night, Before the crucifixion, he replaces all the commandments with one supremely important commandment. Powerful. He says in John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my followers if you love one another. This is incredible. Jesus is on his final night with them. He states that that there's one thing. He doesn't say, hey, there's 600 things. He doesn't say, hey, there's 10 things. There's two things. He says, there's one thing. And by this one thing, people will know if you follow me or not. By this one thing, people will know if you follow me. This new command, this is not a suggestion. This isn't some good teaching from a good teacher. No, no, this is our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, here's one command to follow. Love people. Love people the way I loved you. And how did Jesus love? He loved all. He prayed forgiveness for his executioners. He ate with the unclean. He wept with the unwanted. And we're commanded to love like he did. With that in mind, here's a question that I thought valuable. I heard this and I thought it valuable. How do people who don't look like you experience you? if no one looks like, if if no one looks different than you, has ever experienced with you, maybe it's time to make a new friend. (laughs) Ask yourself this question. How do people who don't look like me experience me? Like, do they experience Jesus' one commandment of love people? Do they know I'm his follower by how I treat them? The people around you, the people that you might come into contact with or see, like your server, your bosses, your neighbors, your cleaners, your co-workers, your landscapers, your police officers, your kids' friends, people on TV, people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, people who don't vote like you, those who don't protest like you, those who don't kneel like you, or those who don't stand like you, those who don't speak up like you, and those who aren't silent like you. Listen, all of them, all the thems, in your life Jesus has a new commandment for us love them love people the way that he loved it move all move all the thems in your life to the us category knowing that God finds incredible worth in that person or those people know that Jesus died for all of your thems because in reality We're all a part of us. We are people of earth who Jesus died for, who the Spirit of God pursues and invites into an intimate relationship with Jesus. So love people. Don't don't just say we do it. Don't just declare it. We gotta live it. We We gotta do it. Like Jesus and the woman at the well, maybe we go and make a friend with someone who doesn't look like you. And you listen and you learn and you love. Ephesians 2 is, is challenging and inspiring in that it shows how a former racist like Paul or like Peter can be so changed by the love of Christ that they begin to have their eyes opened that all people as one. Ephesians says that as one. Divisions are cast aside as love is extended to all. Now, now this this message is easy to brush off and brush away. I'm good. I'm I'm not a racist. I'm good. But but I don't want our church to be okay with, I'm not a racist as our bar. That's not our bar. Our bar is so much higher. It is to love all people the way Jesus loved us. That's a high bar. To love people the way Jesus loved us. No matter the amount of melanin, no matter the origin, the gender, the, the gender, the political agenda, the social agenda, no matter someone's Facebook postings, or whether they wear a mask or not. Love people who are not like you. Befriend those who are not like you. And take Jesus' one commandment that He says there. Take that one commandment, take it out of the Bible, and sink it deep into your heart and deep into your mind. Oh, Orchard, I end this with one huge question inside of me. As I, as, I, as I finish this, there's a question in me How is this going to be received? And, and how, is, as we as a, as a church, can we fearlessly look inward and respond? At the end of the day, God's word is clear where he stands on this. At the end of the day, Jesus' message is clear where it stands on prejudice. And racism, and he is the acting head of the orchard. He is—he's in charge here. We want to come into alignment with his heart. I want us as a church to—to live up to the calling that he's given us, to truly, authentically, and honestly love God, and love people. No asterisks. This week, I want you to consider what, what I said about what it would look like for you personally to move from I'm not a racist to I'm anti-racism. The same way you're anti so many things in your life because they're against God's heart. I want us to consider this week to make that shift. What would that take in your life to move from I'm not a racist to I'm anti-racism because it's against the heart of God? Consider reaching out to those who, who don't look like you and, and listen and learn and love. This week, that's our assignment. It's just a small one, right? <laughs> Other than that, I want you to read Ephesians 3 in preparation for next week. And as you listen to these, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, which I'm sure a lot of you do, hey, I'm open. Please email me, Daniel at OrchardLife.com. I'm ready to hear from you. If you have any uh, questions about our ministry or want to join or you want to contact us or support us financially, uh, please visit our website, www.theorchardlife.com. Orchard, I love you. I'm proud of you, and I'm praying for you. Let's be fearless in this. Let's follow God's heart so we can see and love people the way that He does. Love God, love people.